We're continuing in our series this morning in Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. Mark's Gospel, the ninth chapter, beginning in verse 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. If you have your copy of God's Word, and I hope that you do, uh, please make your way there to Mark's Gospel, chapter 9. Do you you have your Bibles this morning? Can I see your Bible? Let me see that Bible. It's good to have a Bible with you. I know we put the words on the screen, but we're not able to do that for you on Monday through Saturday, right? So um, bring your Bibles, write in your Bibles. That's okay, by the way. Have a designated Bible for writing in. It's all right to write in the margins, make some notes. Um, Listening to the Word of God is aided by, it's a full contact sport. It's aided by not just hearing with our ears, but taking our pen and that that nugget that the Spirit cements in our soul, writing it down. You never know how God might use the notes that you record years from now to be a blessing in your life. One of my most cherished possessions is the Bible that made it with me about halfway through seminary. It was the Bible that I read and I read and I read and I read, and it it is worn to the core. The, the cover's falling off of it. My precious mother-in-law gave me some money to get it recovered, and I just couldn't do it. It's, it's still there. I still got the money in the box. I can't recover the thing because it's, it's, just, it's just what me and Jesus were able to do for years together. And sometimes I go and I look at the Bible, and I'll be going back through the series of Mark, and I'll turn the pages to Mark chapter 9, and I'll, I'll find some stuff that 10 years ago that God was showing me as I was walking through the gospel. So this morning, I hope you've got the word of God with you. And if you don't, don't feel guilty or bad or anything. You've got an iPhone, find it on your iPhone, right? But but begin to bring your Bibles because that's what we're going to do every week. We're going to preach the Bible because we believe that there's power in the word of God explained to change a life. That the Holy Spirit of God who wrote the word of God meets with the people of God when they encounter his word and he produces life change. That's why we preach from the Bible every week. And that was, there's no extra charge for that. That was just, wasn't planned. But Mark's gospel, chapter 9, beginning in verse 14. Would you hear now the word of God? When they came back to the disciples, now who's the they? That's Peter, James, John, and Jesus, right? Because two weeks ago when we were in Mark's gospel, Peter, James, and John went up the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus and they beheld his glory and they left the other disciples behind. So the they is Peter, James, John, and Jesus. When they came back to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. That's what scribes do, they argue. Immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. And he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. They brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion and falling onto the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water 
to destroy him. That's what Satan wants to do to your life, by the way. He wants to destroy it. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Having said that, why don't we pray? God, we ask in the moments to come that you would, through your, the presence of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would be sick in this place. God, that we would feel that you are here with us and that you are prompting us to know and understand and believe something about Jesus that can change our life day by day. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Two weeks ago, we're on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration, beholding the radiant glory of God in Christ. And the question that we might want to ask is, why don't Peter, James, and John just stay there? Or go back down to the disciples and be like, hey, why don't you just come up the mountain and just look at the glory of Jesus all day? Why don't we just live on the mountaintop? And isn't that what we want sometimes as Christians? Man, I just, I just want the mountaintop experience. I want to stay on the mountain. I want to be on the mountaintop. But the wages of sin is death, and Jesus is going to get to the cross to deliver his church and empower us to live for him, not just on the mountain, but down in the valleys of the broken world as well. See, Christianity is not... It's not Buddhism, it's not Hinduism, it's not, a, it's not a faith of escapism. Christianity is not about escaping the brokenness of the world, it's about being sent to engage the brokenness of the world with the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Aiken writes, God never intended for us to stay on the mountaintop. He wants us down here preaching the gospel to and ministering among the hurting and the suffering. He wants us living with and serving real people devastated by the ravages of the fall and of sin. See, we, we go up each week, if you will, metaphorically speaking, on Sunday we gather together and we go up, we get a glimpse of the glory of our saving king who is enthroned on Zion's hill, which will one day come down out of heaven, the city of God. But until that day, we go up and we get a picture, a glimpse of how glorious Jesus is on Sunday as we gather. But then on Monday, we enter the world and we bring his glorious light into the hostile darkness of the watching world. But we don't always succeed, do we? If we're honest with ourselves, we don't always succeed in making that transition from the mountaintop to Monday morning. Some of y'all struggle with that, or is that just the pastor? I love preaching the word and engaging the word and being with the people of God on Sunday, and I, I'm ready when I leave here to charge hell with a water pistol. But then on Monday morning... You know, you wake up, you roll out of bed, and it's the real world. It's life, and it's sometimes challenging. And sometimes we can be like the disciples. They had cast out many demons, chapter 6, verse 13. In their first mission trip, they go, they're all fired up, they're casting out demons, and they're like, woohoo! Then a desperate father shows up with his demon-possessed son, and they can't do anything about it. 
Sometimes we're like that. We fail to live in God's strength. We fail to enjoy the favorable presence of God in our lives. And we falter when we're confronted with the brokenness of the world. Sometimes we can't challenge it. Sometimes we can't answer it. Sometimes we even give in to it. And when we falter, we give the enemy an opportunity to reopen age-old debates about the power and the authority of Christ in our lives. You see, when the disciples are powerless in the face of the demonic, the scribes come back. When does the enemy attack? At the moment of failure, the the enemy comes in and the scribes re-enter and they start to argue with the disciples. See, we told you you didn't have any power. We told you this Jesus that you're following was powerless. We told you that you needed to subscribe to our rules and our reading of the scripture. We told you that you needed to be like the Pharisees and submit to the religious class and that Jesus doesn't really give you freedom and power over oppression. And that's what Satan wants you to believe. As Edwards notes, Jesus is away and now the disciples are beset with the crowds, the scribes, and the demon-possessed. Church, the enemy is always lurking. He's always seeking to turn your failure into the final word on Christ's power in your life to overcome the dark brokenness of your sin-tattered world. But what the world needs and what what the world needs this morning, church, is the presence of Christ with the church, with his disciples, bringing us victory. And I've got some good news. Do you like good news? I like good news. Failure does not have to have the final word. Failure doesn't have to have the final word. Too often, we let failure define who we are. But God wants to use your failure to forge you ever more assuredly into his people. People being made new in the image of Christ. People who long for the powerful presence of Christ among us as we live confidently in the world. Do you want to live with confidence? Do you want to live with boldness? Do you want to live with victory? Then you've got to have the presence of Christ in your life. It's the only way to live courageously, confidently, victoriously in a broken world. And we live in a messed up world, don't we? Well, y'all don't have time for that, but we we live in a messed up world. And to live victoriously in a broken world, there's three things that this text shows us we must understand. First, church, we never advance beyond our need for Jesus. You say, that's pretty simple, pastor. It is, but how often do we get the big head and think we don't need Jesus? Secondly, We never advance beyond our need for faith. Now, there's going to be somebody out there that says, well, what about when Jesus comes back? Well, that's true. When Jesus comes back and we see him face to face, we're not going to need faith anymore because we'll be physically present with him. But from this day to that day, we never advance beyond our need for faith. And finally, we never advance beyond our need for prayer. First, we never advance beyond our need for Jesus. In verse 14, the, the crowd is gathered around the disciples for a good debate. But a good debate is not going to throw away the darkness of the world. Only Jesus can. And when Jesus shows up, guess what? The debate's over. (laughs) They see Jesus. They see the one they were looking for. They see the one they really need. And the entire crowd, verse 15, they saw him. And what they do? They were amazed and began running up to greet him. When people see Jesus, church, the disputes created by the people opposed to Christ's authority give way to Christ who is the authority. What we need at North Roanoke Baptist Church is for people to see Jesus And then suddenly the disputes and the arguments and the anger and all the frustration, it dissipates and it goes and it blows away because people are 
beholding the Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of Christ, and they stand amazed in the presence of the Savior. That's what the church needs. That's what the world needs is a church that is so captivated by the amazing presence of Christ that the world beholds Christ every time they behold his church. But why hadn't Jesus shown up? In the work of the disciples down on the mountain before he showed up physically. He had done it before when he sent them out on the first missionary trip back there in chapter 6. The disciples were able to cast out demons. Why can't they do it now? Here's what I think is going on with the disciples. I think the disciples got the big head. You ever gotten the big head? Well, I blew his doors off the last time I raced him in track meet. He surely hadn't gotten any better. And then next thing you know, he blew my doors off. I think the disciples got the big head. And what Jesus is showing us in this text is we cannot presume that yesterday's spiritual victories are a guarantee of future results. You see, what the broken world needs is not your spiritual resume. They need the amazing presence of Christ in you right now. And that's not going to happen because you taught Sunday school for 25 years. That's not going to happen because you've been a deacon for 25 years. It's not going to happen because you've been an usher or a teacher or a greeter or a parking lot attendant. None of those things are going to help anybody. The saving presence of Christ all over your life is what the world needs. But sometimes we rely so much more on our past spiritual conquests, our years of service, our experiences in ministry, our past victories than we do upon the saving presence of Christ our King. And when we forget, church, that we don't have anything to offer the world other than Jesus Christ crucified for their sins, then we ourselves are prime candidates for failure. But you know what? Christ is there even when we fail. Some of you this morning say, I've messed up, Pastor. I I have not always led with the presence of Christ. There's been a lot of times that I've led with me. But look at what Aiken writes. He says, when we are criticized by our detractors for our failures, we must point them to Christ, the one who does not fail ever. We must encourage them to follow the example of the crowds. They saw him, they were amazed at him, and they ran to him. If you've been a failure, if you've been relying on past spiritual conquests and successes, and you've been checked out of the spiritual life for the last six months, six years, six decades, it's time to be reunited with the powerful presence of Christ in your life and to point the crowds and point the people in your life to the one who can save, the one who can deliver, the one who can overcome their darkness, the living Lord Jesus Christ. The world's not going to be delivered from the ravaging forces of darkness by your favorite ministry, podcast, preacher, or favorite sermon. The forces of darkness, for them to be overcome, people must encounter Jesus when they encounter his disciples. Do you see what the man says, the father says in verse 17? Teacher, I brought you my son. Now, technically, he brought his son to the disciples. But do you see what that implies for us this morning? What it means is that the father was hoping that in bringing his son to Jesus' disciples, that he would also be bringing his son to Jesus. You say, what's your point, Pastor? Here's my point. When when people show up at North Roanoke Baptist Church, when they meet you in a Walmart, when they meet you in a Kroger, when they report to you at the workplace, they need to know that they are encountering more than just you, that they are encountering the saving presence of Christ who is working in and through you. 
North Roanoke, if we're going to be Christ's church in the middle of an oppressed, possessed, and distressed world, people got to know that when they bring us their sons, when they bring us their daughters, when they bring us their families and their lives and their nephews and their cousins who are broken, that they will encounter more than just us. This is not the Lions Club. It's not the Rotary Club. It's the church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. They've got to know that they will encounter the demon-conquering presence of Christ in us, among us, and through us. May God grant North Roanoke Baptist Church that everything we think, everything that we say, every attitude that we have, everything we do, every ambition, that it would be fueled by a holy dependency upon and a desire for the powerful presence of Christ on display through his church in our community and to the ends of the earth. If that would become, by God's grace, our one consuming passion and our holy ambition, watch out Roanoke Valley. Watch out watching world because the Lord Jesus Christ and his presence with his people is a presence that delivers even the worst of the demonic. Look at verse 18. The father says, I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Church, we're no match for Satan's power. We can't handle it unless Christ is with us and working through us. And for that to happen, we can't be satisfied with the spiritual victories of yesteryear. And instead, we must commit ourselves to this principle. Everything we say and do and think and desire comes under Christ's authority and is governed by a hunger for people to encounter the living Lord Jesus Christ when they encounter us, his church. North Roanoke, we never get over our all-encompassing need for Jesus to be present with us, his people. But secondly... If we're going to be victorious, if we're going to be victorious in the middle of a broken world, we've got to recognize we never advance beyond our need for faith. In verse 18 to 27, the disciples can't deliver this man and, or this man's son from the demon. But guess what? Jesus can. Jesus can do it. But notice that Jesus does not rebuke the disciples for their lack of ability. Jesus is not concerned with what you can't do. He's concerned with who you're not believing in. He's concerned not with their lack of ability, but their lack of faith. Do you see that in verse 19? Oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Jesus knows we have zero power within ourselves to overcome the forces of darkness. The moment you start to look within, it's like multiplying by zero. You, you remember this in math facts? You, you add zero and what do you get? You get whatever the number was. What's 100 plus zero? It's still 100. But what's, a, what's 100 times zero? Zero. The, the moment you engage ministry by looking within, looking at what, what I bring to the table, you bring a big multiplying zero to the equation and you nullify the power of God who is the one who alone can deliver from the forces of darkness. Don't be a zero. Let Jesus be the hero. The problem is not our failure to look within, to believe in ourselves, or to try harder. The problem comes when we fail to look to Christ alone. As Aiken writes, I need to let my weakness drive me to his strength. I need to let my impotence drive me to his omnipotence. I need to let my limitations drive me to his unlimited resources. Can you say amen to that? Are there times in your life when you're not living that? 
Are there times in your life when you're going on your own fuel and on your own power and Jesus says, I'm here, trust me, look to me, believe in me. The disciples had been arguing about the demon-possessed son, but Jesus doesn't engage the argument. He ends the argument. How does he end the argument? He says, bring him to me. Some of you this morning need to bring your pornography addiction to Jesus. Some of you this morning need to bring your drug addiction to Jesus. Some of you this morning need to bring your desire to be liked by your old friends to Jesus. Because you're warring between the life that Christ is calling you to on the one hand and the life that your friends say that you used to be defined by on the other. And you need to cut the cord and say Jesus is worth it all. Whatever you're warring against this morning, Jesus says bring it to me, bring it to me, bring it to me. And we can criticize the disciples for their lack of faith. We can criticize the disciples for their failure to understand. But what we can't criticize the disciples for is when Jesus says, bring them to me, guess what the disciples do? They bring him to Jesus. Some of you this morning can look down at the disciples. You can look at all the things they messed up. But this morning, when Jesus says to you, bring your life to me, bring your despair to me, bring your discouragement to me, bring your despair Depression to me, your bitterness to me, your, re- your fear of rejection, your fear of financial hardship, whatever it is that Jesus says to bring to me this morning, he is calling you to get up out of your seat when we sing a hymn of invitation and to bring it to Jesus. And after Jesus says, bring him to me and the disciples bring him to him, what happens? Everything gets better right away, right? Nope. Nope. It's not what happens. In fact, everything gets worse. Did you see that? He goes into convulsions and the demon is doing his best to to make a wreck of the boy's life. And we should expect that, right? Because the faith that God is seeking is a faith that is exercised in the face of seemingly impossible odds. When we carry the broken and the destitute and the defeated people to Jesus, Satan doesn't want to give ground to Jesus. When we ourselves are broken, Satan has no interest in lifting our eyes beyond our circumstances to behold Christ. When we give an invitation and the Holy Spirit convicts you of your sinful selfishness and calls you to abandon your life to living for Christ, the spirit, the the demons of this world don't want you to respond, but the Holy Spirit will empower you and give you the courage to live boldly and to give your life to Christ. Some of you this morning have been relying on your spiritual conquest from five years, ten years, fifteen years ago, and the Spirit of God wants to restore to you this morning the joy of your salvation, but Satan doesn't want that to happen in your life. Satan's not interested in you laying down your regret and your repressed anger and your bitterness and your resentment. He's not interested in you laying any of those things down this morning. And Satan will make one last stand on the way to the breakthrough that Jesus wants to give in each of our lives. You see, when a church gets serious about aligning everything that she is and does and dreams and hopes for the purpose of making disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, Satan is not happy about that. In North Roanoke, that's what we're trying to do at North Roanoke Baptist Church. We're trying to become a disciple-making, 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 disciple-making church. That you would get so filled up with the Spirit of God that you would pass it on to somebody that you're teaching and training and mentoring. And that they would become equipped to teach and to train and to mentor the next generation. And that we would multiply the 
the awareness of the glory of Christ throughout the globe through disciples who are making disciples. But when we get on the edge of crossing over and really beginning to make some progress there, guess who wants to show up? Satan wants to show up. He doesn't want that to happen. He instead wants to convince us that biblical change in obedience to Jesus, it's not worth the effort. He will try to convince us that Satan's power is just too great and the cost of following Jesus just isn't worth it. But Jesus is worth it. The change is worth it. The resolve to follow God's word and to be a church that is aligned with the way that God spells out what an ideal church looks like in the Bible is worth it. North Roanoke Baptist Church, we're going to endeavor to be a disciple-making, disciple-making, disciple-making church of the living Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to read God's word and we're going to say, what did they do in corporate worship? And we're going to try to do that in corporate worship. We're going to say, how did they share the gospel? And we're going to try to share the gospel. They're going to say, we're going to say, why did they preach sermons? And how did they preach sermons? And that's what we're going to endeavor to do. We're going to plow right back into God's word. And guess what? When you get serious about doing that, Satan will attack it. Satan will show up and try to undermine it and destroy it. That is why the demon does everything it can to make faith seem so ridiculous and hopeless. What did the demon do in verse 20? Immediately, the demon threw him into a convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Satan will fight the hardest to try to convince us to give up hope at the very moment that you are about to see God's deliverance. The demon's attack was intense in its severity, and it had been long in its duration. Verse 21, since childhood, his son had been beset by the demonic. Verse 22, and it was trying to destroy him. If it couldn't destroy him with fire, it would try to destroy him with water. The father had every reason to believe that his son's, sat- that his son's fate was sealed. But instead of believing what his eyes told him. Instead of believing what his ears could hear in the screeching of his son as the demon was possessing him, he appeals to Jesus for help, verse 22, and he says, if you can do anything. Now we can be critical of the father, but at least he looks to Jesus and says, if you can do something. And don't you just love Jesus' response in verse 23? If you can If you can, I I don't know how Jesus said that, but I think it would be something like if somebody went to Michael Jordan, it would be be like, if you could make a layup right now, I'll buy you an ice cream. Can can you hear Michael Jordan? If I can make a layup, what are you talking about? But anyway, if I can, all things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him. Who believes? Church, the problem is not inability on the part of Jesus. The problem is human unbelief. Jesus is looking for true faith. And as Edwards writes, true faith is unconditional openness to God. It's a decision in the face of all to the contrary that Jesus is able. As the Father stares at the reality of what the forces of darkness have done to his son for years. Listen to what he says in verse 24. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Whatever you're facing this morning, do you believe that Christ is greater than it? I do believe, God, that you are greater than my job. I believe you're greater than my reputation, my money, my hobby, my depression, the enemy, my addiction. Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Jesus, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Though his faith is small, his faith is in the right person and it is with the right posture. He comes with complete dependence upon Jesus. He doesn't have a plan B, C, 
D, or E. He knows that if Jesus doesn't deliver his son, his son is dead. And then in verse 25, Jesus banishes the vile demon. He puts a no trespassing sign over his son's soul and it commands the demon to never return. The father cries out in faith in verse 24 and in verse 26, he now hears the demon screeching out in defeat. Same word. But the demon leaves his son so lifeless that most of them said he is dead. And while the son was not dead, this is no doubt a picture of what the father had feared for his son for years. That the demonic forces that seek to destroy the sons and daughters of men would claim the life of his son. I I know that one day my daughter's going to get a driver's license. She's 10, and she might get it by the time she's 60, if she's lucky. But I I have heard my parents tell me and I've heard my in-laws tell me that when I got my driver's license or when their children began to drive that their thinking began to change. When might I get that phone call? That that crazy guy driving that 64 Chevelle Malibu at 90 miles an hour up and down Lock Haven Drive missed a turn. In a much more serious way. Can you imagine this father who has seen his boy from childhood. Seeing the forces of darkness trying to bring utter destruction to his life. Praying that somehow, someway there might be a God who would intervene and would deliver and would save and would heal. And he comes to Jesus and he says, please rescue my son. And then in the moment when he gives himself over to faith, what does he see? He sees his son, apparently, who's died. The very thing he feared most, it looks like it has happened. It looks like Satan is one. But then in verse 27, in a picture of what Jesus himself had come to do for each and every one of us, Jesus reaches down and he takes the seemingly lifeless son by the hand and he raises him up. It's the exact same word used of Jesus' resurrection. That can't be an accident, church, because the forces of darkness, the forces of Satan, they, those powers bring death. But Jesus had come to bind the strong man and give himself over to death on a cross where he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? which is the first line of Psalm 22. But Psalm 22 ends in victory with Jesus conquering and vanquishing the powers of death and being exalted as the king because on the third day, though it looked like he was going to stay dead in the grave, on the third day, God raised him up. He exalted him to the right hand of the Father and he poured out his Holy Spirit. And some of you this morning are confronting the darkness of your lives and it's not because the preacher's preaching. It's not because I am emphatic and passionate about it. It is because the whole Holy Spirit of God is working in your life and he is calling you to bring your darkness and your depression and your spare to the feet of Jesus, the risen king who gave his life over to death to conquer the forces of darkness in your life if you'll trust in him and receive his resurrection power in his life. Some of you need to come to Jesus this morning. And some of you, if you know it, you just need to stand up and come right now. We'll end the sermon early because there's a third point. But you don't need to be ashamed of Jesus. Jesus says, stand up and come to me. But finally, church, we never advance beyond our need for prayer. And I confess to you, this is the one that we so often don't get right. 
As the story closes, Jesus and the disciples retreat to a house for some private instruction. In Mark, whenever Jesus goes into a house or gets away with his disciples, he often shares a significant truth about living as a disciple. It's kind of like he opens the door and he says, everything I've been teaching you is good, but now I got, I got something super special. It's like the secret sauce on a Big Mac. And although Jesus has cast out the demon, the disciples still have an important question, right? Why couldn't we do that, Jesus? Why did we have to wait for you to come back down off the mountain? And you know it's good to let our failure drive us to ask hard questions of ourselves. It's easy to be critical of the disciples, but at least they ask the question. And the question, the answer to the question is obvious. They don't have any ability to overcome sin and the satanic forces of darkness unless the powerful presence of Jesus is with them. And the only way to have the power and the authority of Christ at work in the church is when we offer prayers in faith. Jesus says this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. He's not talking about just a specific kind of demon. He's referring to casting out all demons and all other spiritual conflicts of this nature. He's not saying some demon exorcisms require prayer and that others do not. But rather, he is saying whenever we go to the spiritual battlefield, if we go in our own strength and in our own pride and our own self-sufficiency, we've lost the battle before it even begins. Church, we've got to be a praying people. Prayer is where we apply the first two points of the sermon. Prayer is where we recognize our need for the presence of Christ and we declare by faith that He is indeed with us by the presence of His Holy Spirit. Prayer is how we recognize our need for God's powerful presence to have God's victory over Satan. It is the plea that we would know and benefit from the presence of Christ because we know nothing other than the presence of Christ will do. In prayer, we put on Christ who is our shield of faith with which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The divine power that was on display on the mountaintop is available to Jesus' disciples down in the valley when? When we pray. And by the way, not when we pray merely because it's on our calendar or on our schedule, but because of a yearning in our hearts that Christ would gain a victory, that he would overturn the tables because when Christ comes and changes the the odds, the tables of the battle are decisively turned. Prayer is the focusing and directing of faith in specific requests to God. Both faith and prayer testify that spiritual power is not in oneself, but in God alone. To enjoy Christ's powerful and authoritative victory church over the forces of darkness that want to destroy your life, your home, your family, your neighborhood, your community, and our churches, Jesus must, must be with us. We must have faith in Him. And these two things come together when we pray like a father crying out for his son who will be destroyed unless Jesus shows up and intervenes. So let me ask you, North Roanoke, what spiritual darkness are you facing in your life? What spiritual darkness are you facing in the lives of those that you love or in our community? Roanoke, on a per capita basis, is the divorce capital of the Commonwealth of Virginia. We've got one of the highest rates of depression in our city. We've got some of the highest abortion rates in our city. Deliverance only comes through the powerful presence of Jesus, and we access the powerful presence of Jesus in prayer. And so this morning, I want to ask you, whatever darkness you're facing in your life or in your neighborhood or in your community, write it down. 
What's the battle in your life? Write it down on the back of your bulletin and commit this morning, I'm going to begin to pray like the presence of Jesus is enough to overcome this. I'm going to begin to pray in faith right now. We're going to begin to pray as a church a little more frequently as well on Wednesdays, August the, excuse me, July 25th, August 1st, and August 8th. We're going to do prayer walking in the community right behind our church. We've got 12 zones of 30 to 60 homes. We're going to invite you to come out, pray, walk, share some food together, and then depart. We're going to do that over three successive Wednesdays as we pray that God would get the victory in homes. Secondly, in your Bible study classes, if you don't have a Bible study class, did y'all know we have Sunday school at North Runner at 9.45 or thereabouts? Some of you have made it 10 o'clock, right? But, but for a lot of you, we have Sunday school at 9.45. And in your class, I got a question. How often do you get to pray about more than physical needs? You say, well, praying for physical needs, is that bad, Pastor? No, it's in the Bible. We should pray for the sick. But when's the last time? When's the last time somebody stood up in a Sunday school class and said, I'm struggling with an addiction. I need you to pray for me, that God would deliver me. When's the last time somebody stood up in your Sunday school class and said, I've heard Daniel preach about how knowing the grace of God in your life transforms you and makes you a generous giver. And I know that God is calling me to deeper levels of sacrificial giving to open my heart so God could do more in my life. And I know that that's what he's calling me to do, but I want to do it because I'm holding on to financial security rather than putting all my security in Christ. Would you, would you pray that Jesus would break the chains of greed in my life and give me, give me over to being a truly generous giver for the kingdom of God. When when are we going to pray like that, church? When are we going to stand up and say, my marriage is struggling? And would you just lay hands on us right now because in Jesus' name, we're struggling. We need the power of God in our marriage. We need to be healed in our marriage because we don't want to live like this anymore. We want to live on mission for Jesus. The power of God to break the chains of darkness in your life is accessible through prayer. Jesus wants to show up in your life. But we can't keep living our privatized American lives where we're all cloistered with our own baggage that we never talk about because we put the smile on our face and everything's perfect. No, it's not. It's it's not. We live in a messed up, sin-tattered world and it's not. And the way you fight it is with the presence of Christ, faith in Christ, and you pray. So this morning, as you stand to your feet, who needs to pray? Who will be the first to say, I, I've been resting on a profession of faith I made 10, 20, 30 years ago, and I, I need to pray. Who will come this morning and say, God, help me to give every ounce of my life for the glory of Jesus and I need to pray.
For those of you who a sermon point ago were under conviction that you need to give your life to Christ, don't wait another day. Don't wait another day as we sing. The altar is open. You can come and pray. And Jesus is saying, bring your darkness to me as we sing.